Uh, I didn't introduce myself earlier, but my name is Joel Daly. I'm the lead pastor here at the West Haven campus. And thank you to the worship team. That was really powerful worship. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, we're in this, uh, but, but well, before I get to this series, uh, if you are a youth student, grades 7 to 12, you're invited to go up to the youth room, just right upstairs here for the rest of the service. They're going to have a small group up there. Um, if that doesn't apply to you, then you get to stick in here with me. So you're welcome, okay? Um, just kidding. And then I'm sorry, uh, you know, this week was kind of a weird week with our kids' church second service. We just didn't have enough volunteers to fulfill uh, getting classes today. But we will have kids' church next week for second service and first service. So, yes, praise God. Yeah, thanks, Fred. Um, so we're in this series, The Jesus Way. And uh, this has been such a challenging series. Uh, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the best sermon ever preached in the history of the world because it was Jesus, because it stood the test of time, and because even though it was 2,000 years ago that it was preached, it's still just as relevant to us today as it was back then. You know, but I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever taken something too literally? Have you ever taken something too literally? Like maybe it's a law or a saying. I'll just, I'll, I'm not, yeah, okay, thank you, Larry. Um, Larry has, and I have, and here's what I took too literally. When I was younger, I heard that it's bad to drink and drive, okay? It's bad to drink and drive. And so my dad and I got in the car, uh, you know, after I had found out this fact, and my dad like had a weird obsession with Mountain Dew, when, he, when I was young. He like doesn't drink Mountain Dew anymore, but he did back then. And he would always get, you know, those big old like 7-Eleven mugs of it, and he would drink it all day. And I remember I got in the car, I don't remember how old I was, but I got in the car, and he started drinking and driving. And I was like, Dad, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean, what am I doing? And I said, you're not supposed to drink and drive, right? And obviously, I had missed like a pretty key uh, uh, detail about this, right? That it's not drinking anything, right? You can drink water or Mountain Dew when you're driving. You can't drink alcohol though, right? And so I had missed that. So my dad lovingly, you know, corrected me. And, and I, from that moment on, I, I didn't care if he drank Mountain Dew and drove anymore. But that's a law that I misunderstood. And, um, you know, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but he came to clarify the law. And the law we're talking about is the law, you know, that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, uh, the Ten Commandments, right? And so Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he's going through and he's clarifying the law that God had given. Because who more qualified to do it than God himself, Jesus, right? To clarify what he meant. And so the, this is where we've been the last six weeks. We took one week off for Mother's Day. But the law says, okay, don't murder. Jesus says, be reconciled. The law says, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, be radically pure. The law says, a man can divorce. Jesus said, we should be selfless in marriage. The law says, don't break vows. Jesus said, be a truth teller. The law said, eye for an eye. Jesus said, be a blessing. The law said, hate your enemies. But Jesus said, love your enemies or be like Jesus as he did. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is loving our enemies. Now, there's nothing wrong, again, there's nothing wrong with the law. 
The law, the law isn't bad. The, the, the law was actually sent to show us how much we needed a Savior, show us how impossible it was to please God by our own power, by our own merit, by our own right. It, it was to show us that we needed a Savior. And we all do this, right? We, we all take a law, maybe like don't drink and drive, and we take it to the extreme. And we say, well, that's what God says, so we should do it, Right? But, but so often, like a law like don't covet what someone else has, sometimes we take that to the extreme and we say, it's bad to have nice things, right? I want that thing and that person's sinning because they have that thing. No, you're sinning because you want that thing. They're not sinning because they have nice things. It's not a sin to have nice things, right? But sometimes we as people, we take these truths of God and we kind of add a little onto them or we add a a lot onto them. And that's where it gets super, super dangerous. And that's why we should take God at his word. That's why every single week we teach the Bible because the Bible is our guide. We look to God in his word and all we do, that's our value. That's our first value here at Alpine Church because it's not about what I say. It's not about what Pastor Brian says or Pastor Ross says or whoever else is teaching up here. The important thing is what God said. And to the best of our ability, we're going to try to help you understand what God said. But that doesn't mean that you just sit here and take it as gospel, everything that I say. You have to be in God's word yourself if you're a Christian. And that's not legalistic. That's just the truth. Because how do you know what I'm saying is true? You won't unless... You read the Bible, and you see it for yourself, and you see God speaking through his words. So that's why it's so important to discipline yourself, as, as, as Paul said to Timothy. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Physical exercise is good, but, but spiritual exercise is better. And one of the best ways we do that is to read our Bibles, to cultivate that relationship with them. So that when we hear something that, oh, that doesn't necessarily sound right, we can know if it's, if it's true or not. But loving your enemies, right? Who, who is, okay, you need to be better than the first service this morning, okay? I want some participation here. Who is a lover, not a fighter? Raise your hand. If you're a lover, not a fighter. Okay, we got some fighters out there, all right? It's not bad. It's good to stand up and fight sometimes, right? But I, I'm like the definition of a lover, not a fighter. Like, I avoid conflict like we've all avoided COVID the last two years, right? Like, I will do anything that I can to knock it in a fight because I want everyone to get along, right? That's the, I want everyone to love each other and not, you know, fight and not have all this tension. But I think we all know and can admit that there's people in our lives that, like, we just don't like. Like, I just don't want to talk to that person right now. I just don't want to see that person right now. I don't, you know, you'll walk around like if you're in the grocery store and you need to go down that aisle and you see someone and you'll, you'll avoid the aisle and go down the other one, right? Like, we do that. We, there's some people in our lives that are just more difficult for us to deal with, to handle. And, um, you know, while I wouldn't use the word enemy or hate, I mean, really the idea behind this is, is we, people we don't like. Or people who don't like us. That's a shocker, right? That someone might not like you because you're perfect, right? You could never do anything wrong. It's everyone else who has a problem. I'm joking, obviously. All of us have issues. All of us have problems. And there was this law 
that, that the Israelite people had believed that Jesus needed to clarify, and it's, it's right here in Matthew 5. If you have your Bibles, open up, but we'll have it on the screen up here. Matthew 5, 43. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, when I read this verse, honestly, the first thing I think is like, I don't even necessarily do a great job loving the people I like. So how am I going to love those who I don't like, right? That seems like an impossible standard for us. And that's part of what we'll get to today. You know, but love, love in this context, that word you have heard, love your enemies, that means like literally to wish someone well. I hope that that person has a great day today, right? Someone that you really don't like and that annoys you or bugs you or whatever, you wish that person well. That's what this love is talking about. Now, I don't know about you, but again, I, it's really, really difficult for me to wish someone well who I don't like. Like, that's a really, really, really difficult thing for me to do. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this verse and we're going to bounce around to other verses, but the main text we're going to be in is Matthew 5, 43 through 48. So again, if you have your Bibles, open it up. But this is the first thing that we need to know from this passage is that God never actually said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He never actually said that. That wasn't a law back in the day. Now, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, a lot of people, I hear a lot of Bible talk on the streets, because I'm a pastor, and people know, you know, if they know I'm a pastor, they'll start quoting verses at me, and sometimes they're quoting verses that aren't even in the Bible, and I'm like, hmm, that's kind of weird, like, what you just said is literally nowhere found in the Bible. Here's a few. God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. That's what he wants above anything else in your life, is your happiness. That's, that's not in the Bible. I'm going to burst some people's bubbles this morning, sorry. God just wants you to be financially wealthy. God never, ever, ever said that, okay? Uh, God would never allow anything painful to happen to you. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you know that that's not true, (laughs) right? God won't give you more than you can handle, If you've been a Christian for one minute, you know that that's not true, right? God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. God, uh, the, the money is the root of all evil, right? That's not biblical, okay? Uh, the last one, God helps those who help themselves. I love that one. That's a good one, huh? But it's not in the Bible. It sounds good. Like you could put it on your Instagram, you know, and decorate the, but that's not in the Bible, Right? So again, this is why we need to be in God's word and know what it says, because we can, we can take something that, you know, we think is true and then teach it to other people. Let's look at this verse again, Matthew 5, 43. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, let's just stop there. The first thing is you have heard, you have heard, not the law says, Okay? Jesus says, you guys have all heard this, this law. You've all heard this. Okay? And what, what it means to, 
to hear is like kind of like probably what it would be like for us today is like if you hear it on the news or if you see a social media post or an article or a blog that someone wrote, right? You have heard this is true and we all know that's not really a reliable source, a lot of those, a lot of those sources that we hear things from. So that's the first thing we, we hear, but the second thing and this is interesting, is that look at love your neighbor is kind of, it, it's, it, it's quotes within quotes, but love your neighbor is quoted, and then hate your enemy is just by itself. That's because love your neighbor is biblical, that is in the Bible, but hate your enemy is not in the Bible. This is something that was added later on. Now, how did they get to this point where it was okay to hate your, you know, hate your uh, enemy? Well, look at Leviticus. This is, this is the, you know, the third book of the Bible. It's all the laws and everything. And it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's pretty clear, right? Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. Now, again, for us today, it would be like against someone in this room, you know, your neighbor or someone you see, you know, but what this is not giving us license to do is to hate those who aren't our neighbor, right? So, so God is saying, love those around you, but then Jesus clarifies, no, we're called to love everyone, right? We're called to love everyone in our lives. No one is exempt from our love because that's what God has called us to do. Now, love doesn't mean acceptance, it doesn't mean that we agree with everything that the person says or their lifestyle choices or whatever else like that, but it does mean that we honor and respect them because they are an image bearer of God. Every single person in the world is an image bearer of God, and they're worthy of our love, even if we don't like them. So, so what God is not saying is like, hey, love these people over here but hate these people over here. What he's saying is love these people over here. And then Jesus clarifies, no, love, love everyone, <laughs> as we're going to see in a minute. But the second thing, God's trying to protect us from something very dangerous. Uh, the, the world's way imprisons us, but the Jesus way sets us free. I want you to think of a person who is just imprisoned through holding a grudge or through seeking revenge, or bitterness, or anger, or malice. Think of a person like that. Think of, like, when you talk with them, it's always, it always comes back to the same thing. It's always negative. It's always obsessive. And you just want to, like, scream at them and say, dude, you need to figure this out, okay? Because every time we get together, you're just in this, such a bad place of being so mad at this thing, right? That they're in a prison of their own making. They're miserable, they're not happy, they're not joy-filled people, but that's, that's the world's way, right? It's to love those who love you, but, but you can hate or dislike your enemies or those who aren't like you, but the Jesus way is different. Look at what Jesus said. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus is so, so good, right? Like so masterful. Because what it's saying is like, okay, you're a follower of me. If you look like the world, if you look like everyone in the world, 
you're going to look like everyone in the world. What's going to set you apart is you're not, going to, you're not going to hate those who don't like you or you don't like. You're going to love those people. You're going to care for those people. You're going to watch over those people. And that's not what the world does. Like even, even Hitler probably liked some people. So basically what it's saying is like, you know, tax collector of the day could be replaced. Even Hitler did that much, right? Even he did that, and he, he's Hitler, right? We, we don't really need to go into that. But, but the point is, Christians, our lives should look different from the world. The Jesus way is different from the world's way. Here's, here's what happens when you hate your enemy. This is what we're going to look at first, and then we'll go when you love your enemy. So the first thing, when you hate your enemy, you camouflage your sin. Another way of saying this is you just justify your sin because you feel like what that person did or how much you dislike them is, is enough to overlook your sin in your life. So in other words, because they sinned against you, you can sin against them. That's, that's not okay. <laughs> two rights or two wrongs don't make a right, right? We, we shouldn't camouflage our sin. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. All of us fall short of God's perfect standard. And we need to own up to that sin, which we're going to look at in just a minute. The second thing, when we hate our enemy, we get stuck in bitterness. You know, bitterness is something that affects our entire being. It affects us spiritually, it affects us emotionally, mentally, and even physically. Like when a person is bitter, like sometimes you get sick more than other people, right? Like it's, it's weird how all-consuming to your, to your whole person bitterness is. One person said that bitterness is like taking a, a glass of poison and drinking it and hoping the other person dies, right? That, that doesn't make sense, right? The only person that it's affecting is you. They probably don't even know you're bitter at them. This is what happens. We get stuck in bitterness, and then the last thing is you chain yourself to the enemy, I don't know, one of my favorite phrases is, you know, you're letting some people live rent-free in your mind. Some people are living rent-free in your head, right? What does that mean? Well, it means that, that they have no idea that you obsess and you think and you dwell on them often, but you know, you know that you think about them all the time. They're, they're living rent-free in your head. They don't even know half the time probably at all. This puts us in this prison when we hate our enemies and we chain them to ourselves. But, but here's, that's the world's way. But the Jesus way is when you love your enemy. You admit you sin. You know, the, the, it's not excusing what they did to you. It's not saying, well, they didn't do anything wrong. It was totally me. No, it was both of you. But it was both of you. It wasn't just them. This is so hard to do. Right? When you're hurt, when someone has, has wronged you, it's so difficult to take a look at yourself. Ah, it's so difficult. If you've ever had to do it, I, you know, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and, and I know a marriage will make it if people take ownership of their actions. But oftentimes, they can't because they're so busy pointing the finger at the other person. And saying, no, no, it's this person, it's this person. 
And what does that do? When you get a finger pointed at you, what are you going to do? Well, no, it's you because of this. And where does that get you? Nowhere, right? In marriage, in relationships, whatever it is. So you have to admit that you also sin, that you're not perfect. When you love your enemy, you free yourself to forgive. I love this. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things we have to do in this world. For those of you who have had to do it, right? And we all have to a certain extent. Some of us, maybe it's been a little bit more difficult based on what has happened or how the person has hurt us. And see, forgiveness is totally about you. It's not about them. Because again, if you, if you have bitterness, if you get stuck in bitterness, you have to resolve to forgive because forgiveness first impacts you. If, if you don't forgive, you're living in that prison. Oftentimes, the other person doesn't even know they did anything wrong. Sometimes the person's dead. So you can't even go to them and say, hey, I forgive you, right? You can't, you can't do that. So forgiveness, it's totally about you. Now, forgiveness is not, is not trust. Forgiveness is not trust. Those are two different separate things because, because if I forgive you, scenario, if you come and watch my kids and you abuse them and hurt them, and later you call me and ask for forgiveness, I hope and pray that I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to be like, oh, you know what, thank you. You know, do you want to come watch the kids next week? Right? I'm not, I'm not going to do that because you've, you've, you've broken my trust. You've, you've severed that part of the relationship. There has to be healthy boundaries. Even Jesus had healthy boundaries with people. We should too. Forgiveness is not, an op- is, is not optional. We're called to forgive. We're not called to trust. Okay? And then the last thing is when you love your enemies, you connect yourself to the yoke of Jesus. So some of you may know this language, but others of you may not. It comes from Matthew 11, 29 through 30. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So a yoke, uh, you know, probably is, this imagery is lost on a lot of us, but the, the yoke was put on two oxen, okay? And the, and the oxen would till or plow the fields, right? They would, you would put it on both their necks, and they would go together. And oftentimes what would be done is you would take a strong oxen, and pair it with maybe kind of a weaker oxen because, because you wanted the strong one to kind of make up what the weak one wasn't doing. So you weren't going to put too strong one because then that would mean that there were two weak ones that wouldn't get anything done. So you put a strong with a weak. And this is what Jesus is saying. I'm the strong ox. You're the weak one. Take my yoke upon you be with me because you'll find rest, because I'm humble and gentle, my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus is inviting all of us to do that through a relationship with him, to take his yoke upon you. Let him do the work. You stop trying to do all the work, right? Again, it's impossible for us to just say, well, you know what, I'm going to love my enemies, that, that seems impossible. And you might do it for a little while, but eventually 
you're going to fail. That's why we have to take the yoke of Jesus upon us. And then really, the last part of this is that blessing our enemies is the ultimate expression of the Jesus way. So we're, you know, in, in Matthew 5, 43 and 44, it said, you know, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Part of this means that we wish them well, that we love them. Sometimes it goes further than that. Think about Jesus and Judas Iscariot, right? Judas Iscariot's feet were washed probably hours before Jesus went to the, before Judas went and, and uh, betrayed Jesus. Yet Jesus, and Jesus knew this because he's Jesus, <laughs> right? He, he knew that Judas was going to go and do what he had to do. Yet he still humbled himself. He still bent down and washed his disgusting feet. He served him. He blessed him. And if this is what Jesus did, what makes us think that we aren't called to do the same? Because when we do this, this is, what, this is what he says in verse 45. In that way, when we love those who don't love us, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. This communicates something very, 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 very important about God. It's that God's grace overflows onto everyone in the world. This explains why evil people or bad people are successful or rich or have good health. Right? This explains why those people prosper. David, in the Psalms, you see time and time again him crying out, God, why do these people succeed when they're bad people? Well, it's because this idea of, this is your theological phrase or word for the day, common grace. Common grace, you know, we have God's grace through salvation, okay? We're given God's grace directly by faith. But that grace that's given to us spills over into the world, and it impacts everyone in the world. That's why Bad people have good lives, honestly. That's why they're not suffering and hungry and stuff like that because God is that good and loving. But see, this is the thing. You can't think so temporally because for those people, the evil people who prosper, earth is the closest they're gonna get to heaven. The closest those people are gonna get to heaven is earth because if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Those people's heaven is now. But, but for the rest of us, those who have put our trust and faith in Jesus, the closest to hell we'll ever get is earth. Right? So, so we, we, we can't take this world and say, this is, this is everything, this is it, right? Because there's so much more to come in eternity. The early apostles, you know, they didn't really prosper from a worldly perspective. They were beaten and tortured and in prison and, and doing all of these things, right? For the sake of Jesus. And these rich, wicked people were prospering and they were succeeding. That's because of God's common grace, God's grace to everyone. But Jesus, he, he ends this section, he says, he says this in verse 48, this chapter 5 ends, but you are to be perfect, 
even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, just do that. Let's pray. No, just kidding. We're not done. That's like a, like, what? I'm to be perfect? Even as my Father in heaven is perfect, so, so, so just be perfect, right? It's easy. Just do that. See, this is why, again, you never take one verse in the Bible just by itself. Many, many, many heresies and dangerous things have come out of a person taking one verse in isolation and running with it. Because this, this is where legalism is born. You're, you're supposed to be perfect. You're not supposed to make mistakes. You're not supposed to sin. You're to be perfect just like God is. But see, remember what it said before that. When we love those who don't love us, when we treat them with kindness and compassion, we are being like God. This is what God is saying. He's not saying to be perfect in the sense of you should be sinless and you should never make a mistake. God is saying that you should love me and you should love other people just like I love other people. But again, even that sounds impossible or hard. So we're going to go to Philippians 3. This is the last verse we're going to look at today. This is Paul. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. In another place, in Ephesians 2, Paul said, it's by grace and faith through, by faith, by grace through faith that you have been saved. And he says, it's because of this that you shouldn't boast about your salvation because you didn't do anything. Like that's, a, that's kind of a hard truth, right? What, Je- what Jesus and, and what Paul is saying is, is, no, I did the work. Jesus did the work. You didn't do the work. So you can't take credit for it. So we shouldn't take credit for when we do something good. Because as Paul said in Romans, that's the Holy Spirit at work within us. But when we do something bad, that's our sin nature. We have these natures fighting against each other constantly, every day, every minute, every hour, fighting against each other. But our righteousness, our perfection, doesn't come through obeying the law. It comes through faith in Christ for what he did on the cross. It's by grace through faith that we're saved Nothing that we could do. This is Jesus. This is the gospel, right? Jesus coming and taking our sin upon himself, paying the penalty that we deserve so that we could have life and have life to the full. This is the Jesus way, trusting in him each and every step of the way. And sometimes, you know, we have to correct ourselves because sometimes we start to go down the road of trying to earn or trying to do good things to earn God's love and favor and blessing in our lives. But that way is going to lead to a, a, a yoke that is burdensome and tiring, the opposite of what Jesus said. Let Jesus do the work in your lives. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you into all holiness and righteousness. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, for just the way that you love us, for, for the way that you have equipped us. God, we, we're just so blessed to be in this room together today to talk about the Bible, to talk about your word and to grow, Lord. And, and really, God, none of us really have an excuse for not knowing who you are. 
God, because you say that we'll, even if we don't have your word, God, we know through nature, by looking at the mountains, by looking at the oceans, God, that there's something more, that you're there, that you're working, Lord. But we have your written word, and so we just thank you, Lord, for giving us what you've given us, the opportunities you've given us. And, and Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of those opportunities through your power and your guidance and your wisdom. God, because we can't save ourselves, there's nothing that we could do to make ourselves right with you. And God, that's why you sent Jesus to this earth, to die for us. God, to take the penalty that we deserved upon yourself. God, and, and not only that, but God, you died, but you rose again so that we could have life with you here on earth, but also into eternity. So we thank you that, we thank you for that, Lord. We, we pray, God, if we have put our trust and faith in you, God, that we would rely on you, that we would wake up every morning and realize and recognize our deep, deep need for you each and every step of the way through this chaotic world. God, and that you would again let us know that your mercy and your grace is new every morning. God, we're not gonna be perfect, but God, you were perfect, and we trust in you, and you have, you have put your perfection upon us. That's how you see us, Lord. So we thank you for that, God, and I pray for maybe the person in here, Lord, who doesn't know you, maybe who is hearing this good news for the first time, God, that it's not anything that they can do, but it's everything that you've done. I just pray that you would speak to that person in this, in this moment, in this time. God, help them to see that their way is just gonna lead to chasing, chasing really nothing, God, because we could never do enough to feel like we've earned your love or favor. But God, we already have through your son, Jesus. So I, I just pray that they would recognize that, Lord. I, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would, wherever we're at in our lives, that we would see more of you, that we would experience more of you, and that you would just reveal yourself to us each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.